Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have a very special guest. He is a six-time award-winning author who has placed in the finals for a fantasy series for the OZMA Award, gifting his work to foster children in an act of compassion. In addition, he has taught the many arts of storytelling to novice writers and avid readers. His obsession with uh, questioning the good and bad in life, the gray areas, the scary parts of life, and what makes his work enthralling and colorful. Tell me, how did you get started on this path? Well, first off, hi, everybody. I started as a screenwriter, actually. I did that for about a year. So when I finished my associates in creative writing at uh, Kwantlen Polytechnic University, I decided to give screenwriting a shot as a career. But um, when I saw how competitive it was, I decided to leave that be and became a personal trainer, actually. And then that didn't work either. So I, I tried to get the writing bug again. So I uh, tried to write a children's book with a friend of mine who did illustration. And it was okay for a while. We got to the point where we had the idea for the story, the inspiration. But as soon as the artwork was about to start, she wanted to try to market the book ahead of time to make sure that it becomes a top 10 in Amazon. But she wanted to go it in a backwards fashion where she wouldn't do anything with pen to paper until she was certain that it would be a success. But I was the other way around. I would rather finish the work and then try to find our target audience. But I didn't know what I was talking about. So I went back to school and turned my associates into a bachelor's of creative writing. And once I was done with my schooling, that's what inspired or invigorated my love of reading once again. And I started writing my current series, Boone and Jacques. Tell me about your series. Boone and Jacques at first started as this fantasy series where uh, these two boys, Boone and Jacques, uh, found magical history in their town, Saddleton. And once they started discovering more and more about it and more and more about their town, the more chaos consumed the town and put their lives in jeopardy, therefore creating a lot of drama and, and adventure and all this stuff. But when I was continuing to write this, this series, it evolved into something far more deep and psychological thrilling, um, very diverse and inclusive. And I stripped away less of the innocence that the series starts with. So 
people ask me, well, is this a YA series? Not really. There's too many adult themes for it to be YA, but it does maintain the adventurous spirit that I started with. Interesting. It, it sounds like your passion came alive as you were writing that you literally started with one point and ended at another. Yeah, certainly. I mean, at first, I what really started this series is, is me using the series as an exercise to not be so paranoid about a certain deadline that I created for myself or even uh, boxing myself into one storyline. So that means I didn't write a detailed outline for every uh, installment of the series. It's more like I had a rough idea of what I wanted to start to be and let the story um, speak for itself. Let let the story tell me what's going to happen as a, rather than me trying to control every single plot line and point and just let it flow. Trauma is a common theme throughout the uh, series. How come? Well, I mean, I've been through a lot in my life. I, uh, when I was, when I was eight, my dad was uh, T-boned by a garbage truck. And that was a big change for my family because we didn't know how severe it was going to be in terms of uh, life change for him, or if he was even going to come out of it in one piece, he ended up having an artificial hip and part of his foot missing. So when we saw how different he, his life, his life was going to be and how close we were going to be as a family, I didn't realize, you know, how life was going to continue to, you know, change because fast forward when I was 24, my mom uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, I think for five years, sorry. She passed away when I was 24, but she fought breast cancer for five years. And unfortunately uh, it, uh, it took her into the ground, but that's okay because her spirit is still alive. Um, the other reason why trauma is such a important and constant theme throughout this series is because I saw throughout life how people deal with trauma and and how toxic it can be when you are too inward about it, meaning you don't you only internalize your pain as opposed to dispersing the stored energy that you have you have repressed due to i don't know maybe just it was too too hard for you to to deal with or it was just easier to repress the the emotions you've instilled in you and seeing how different you know uh people can be when they when it comes to dealing with their emotions and i wanted to exemplify how how that can be visualized in storytelling not just my pain but other people's pain two other themes that are very common in your books are diversity and inclusivity again why did you write those in there uh, honestly i got tired of reading the typical male traits that are written in books it, it's exhausting reading the same characters like even if the story is unique if a male character is very typical as like, like an urban kid or 
you know, the macho man that doesn't know how to express his feelings and doesn't know how to, you know, deal with people. It got really exhausting, especially um, straight characters. So for, for Boone and Jack, I made sure that I tried to be as inclusive and diverse as possible, not, not to create political reasons or, or even pander to a, a broader audience it was really just, it was more interesting to me to have characters that are not, I guess, boring. You know, people, whoever they love, they're still a human being. That's really why I'm trying to include diversity and inclusivity, to show that regardless of who you love, what your race is, where you come from, love is love and people are just people. Again, I find your book fascinating. So I, I think we're going, who inspires you in your writing? Well, at first it was J.K. Rowling because I uh, I love Harry Potter. But as I got older and I started reading different books from different authors, the one author I always gravitated to, especially for inspiration and as a peer, is Stephen King. I truly hope that I meet him one day or that I at least get a signed copy of his, of his books, because there's something about his portrayal of fear in different ways that has always felt extremely real to me to, to make fear feel real, as opposed to focusing on the grotesqueness and jump scares that fear can, can create in a person it's it's far more visceral to me if you connect with that fear. So how he has orchestrated his his storytelling to be compelling and truly terrifying on a psychological level has always been a true inspiration to me. What do you hope you, your readers will get when they read your books? I hope that they can connect to either a character or a certain scene. So, for example, one of my readers said that uh, this boiler room scene in book one connected with her because when she was just a just a kid, she had uh, a certain memory of being in a boiler room and feeling scared, whether it was because she was cleaning it or just something happened to her. So the fact that I can make young characters connect with adults is truly incredible to me that I can make a reader feel connected to what I'm writing as opposed to just reading something for the sake of escaping reality. So that's what I hope happens. And if you don't learn anything, fine. I mean, I hope you do, but if you can feel something real from what I'm writing, even though it's completely focused in a a fantasy world, that is a true achievement to me. Yeah, you're talking to a lot of people in our audience right now. Why don't you tell them why you think they should be compelled to read your books? Because I love to learn, not just about storytelling, but about life. I mean, I'm, I always do my research. I always try to make sure there's some sense of realism in my writing. So, for example, in, uh, in Boone and Jacques, there there have been moments that I'm like, I don't know if this is concrete enough or real enough. So for example, Jacques 
who on this cover here, um, that guy there, that's Jack. He's very uh, logical and theoretical, a real bookworm, but he comes from a rich British family where he was fostered into. So although he is in a rich family, he's treated as, I don't want to say a stranger, more like a charity case where he's only in the family for the sake of their image that they seem charitable by having a foster child. So I actually interviewed someone that was a foster child and they told me about their past and how difficult it was. And then I found another person that had the opposite where they had a good life. So that's why you should read this because I truly care about making each part of my craft feel authentic and visceral and powerful. So for example, once this series is over, I'm writing a serial killer uh, origin story. And to prepare for that ahead of time, I did uh, information interviews with criminology professors from uh, South Africa and uh, Michigan State. And it was just, you know, useful to me. Do you enjoy doing the research? Of course. I mean, it's, it's, it is obviously strenuous, but for good reason. And it's a process that I enjoy. When you do research, what you realize, especially when you uh, talk to people, there's there's power and credibility, especially if you implement it in your writing. Doing a simple Google search for little things, that's not enough to me. You have to actually talk to people that have credibility that make not just your, your books uh, um, concrete and, and, and accurate, but also create some sense of uh, tethering between fiction and reality. Tethering is a very important concept. And I think that's what you're trying to do in your whole series and all of the books that you write. Yes. I mean, when you, when you tether reality and fiction, you're creating truth within a lie. And that's actually a quote I learned from, um, from Stephen King in his book uh, on writing, which is also a memoir, but to create truth within fiction is what makes us uh, connect to storytelling, especially if there's something personal that we could connect to. Excellent. So why is your series so important to you and why do you want to get that out to the world? I want to get it out to the world and it's important to me because without imagination, without uh, being self-aware and interconnected with others, life falls apart. And that's what this series is all about, is the value of life and time and love and understanding that when we're gone, we have to realize that just because we're no longer on this earth physically doesn't mean that parts of us are not still around. That's what I try to get these characters to understand is that they have to really value each other, not just themselves. Because without knowing or understanding that we're all interconnected, we will always feel like part of us is missing. And 
we also tend to neglect our own value. And that's what I want these young characters to understand as they get older. Can you elaborate on your book series a little bit more and what you've written in each part of the series? Of course. So for book one, this one here, um, that was my exploration of childhood trauma, but in, in uh, mirror effect. So Boone is dealing with feeling neglected by his parents where the father is an alcoholic and is abusive. The mother, not abusive, neglect, negligent for sure, but it doesn't mean that she doesn't love him. So he always feels like he has to keep searching for, for some kind of form of, of, of uh, affection and energy in life. So that's why the relationship with Boone and Jack is so um, so I guess it, there's a true bond between them is what I'm saying. And I wanted to make sure I start the series that way, that these two are not just best friends. They also see each other as brothers and that relationship deepens over time as they learn about themselves and about each other. In book two, I take them out of the town. I won't tell you where you'll have to read it. Uh, I'll show you right here. Okay. The Brothers Odyssey. Uh, in that book, I focused a little bit more on teenhood development or mental development. And I wanted to show people how teens would develop were they to be separated or neglected from any peer or adult or or parent and therefore uh, encouraging them to learn from each other and about themselves. In book three, they go back into town and a creature comes back in town and is somehow mutated and ghostly. And that one, what I've been trying to do over time with the series is to separate these characters because they became codependent and I don't want that happening as they become adults. So in book three, they become separated, all three of them. The third one you'll have to read for yourself. Uh, it really, it's really telling that they are struggling with their identity and by having no reliance on anyone but themselves, they truly have that time and space to really ask themselves questions about who they are. And then when they come back together, they're that much more certain of, them, of themselves and stronger with their loved ones. In book four, which just came out like three months ago, uh, Cyprus Moonlight, um, they're back together again, but now they're adults in their 30s. And they've truly grown from their trauma and all the chaos and adventure. And now they're trying to live normal lives. But as I've done with all my books, chaos always follow, follows them. But it's not to disrupt their progress. It's actually to test how they will approach life and how they will, I guess, um, create peace for themselves without trying to poke around in too many dark places. 
in what way does fiction uh, mimic reality in this series? Hmm, good question. Uh, I, I try to use imagery to represent their fears and, and uh, tribulations. So in book four, um, I actually used uh, psychedelics to, to show characters what, ha- uh, sorry, show my readers what happens to people when they try to use substance to either numb or intensify the emotions that they have in their life and and what that can do to them when they are not taking their time soberly to truly understand who they are. And that when you use substance and distraction to further yourself from your own truth, that it can really, you know, damage you. So the way I try to tether reality and fiction and how fiction mirrors reality is by exemplifying what people see in their own heads without really knowing what it means. That That's important. And I, I think you're finding your niche as time goes on. Those are four books. Do you have a fifth book in mind? Yeah, the final book of the series, uh, Sahon, which I'm currently writing. Um, that one will be very different from anything I've written. Because although it is still in a fantasy world where these characters go, I I really d- dive into um, their identity crisis and and questioning themselves and uh, trying to find some kind of clear purpose in their life because they never really took the time to do that. They just lived their lives like most of us do. But once the series is over, they'll have some sense of realism and understanding of who they are and the value of others and, and of time and to just let life be life, whether it throws one or a million curveballs. One or a million curveballs. That's a fascinating concept. Uh, is life like that? Always throwing curveballs at people? Oh yeah. I mean, for me, life has always been unpredictable and I used to try to fight it. I used to try to plan my life. I used to try to um, make sense of everything. But once I stopped looking for a clear path or uh, relief from all the tension in life and and the darkness that is in, in it, I just let life be life. And when you finally let go of any sense of um, fear or paranoia of where life is going to take you, it just becomes that much easier to fight for freedom because whether you own your own place or you live on the street, if you continue to fixate on the negativity in life, it becomes you. you, when you, when you don't see the light in life, that's just who you are now. And you become bitter and angry towards everyone and yourself. And you find little things that are so insignificant and you get upset about it. And I just learned to just breathe. Whatever, you know, angers me or frustrates me or makes me sad. Instead of dwelling on it 
or being fearful of what that will do to me if I don't, you know, externalize my pain, uh, I'm, I'll destroy myself. So rather than be self-destructive or use any kind of distraction I can get my hands on, I try to actually embrace what uh, life throws at me and just run with it and be more decisive. Andre, how do you live a fantastic life? That's a good question. Um, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. I never see my life as fantastic. I see it as several chances to do better because living a fantastic life is not about being perfect or being happy all the time. You're a human being. You're going to have many days where you don't feel like doing anything or don't feel up to being optimistic or opportunistic. So really the key to living a fantastic life is just be happy with what you have and who you have in your life. And if you need outlets to get through the tough parts, great. It doesn't have to be writing or reading. It can be anything you, you can imagine that makes you happy. So as long as it doesn't harm you or others, I think that's awesome. That, that's pretty important. How do you recommend others live a fantastic life? I would say love yourself first and find love in others. Find the good in others, regardless of whether you see them as a friend or foe. And to not um, put your energy in the wrong places. So if you're trying so hard to achieve something and you burn yourself out, it's not that you should give up on it. It's more like you should pull back and try a different way. Or if it's, if there's no means to an end, you let it go and you try something else. So really the, the key to you living a fantastic life is to just understand who you are, what you love about yourself, what you love about those who are closest to you that are a, a constant in your life. That is what is our ultimate goal is to be connected with others and ourselves and find out, you know, what is it about life and ourselves that makes us happy? That's great. Uh, Andre, how can people find out more about your world and your books? Well, uh, you can follow me on all of these uh, social medias at AG Flitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Uh, for creative stuff, I would recommend my TikTok because I do a lot of, a bit of acting in there because I did a couple months of acting classes. So I tried to use that skill for uh, marketing myself and to entertain you. <laughs> uh, but if you want to ask me some, some uh, sincere questions about my books or even my life, uh, I would say Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Thank you, Andre, for being here. Thank you for sharing so much with us. I I'm sure people will find your books fascinating. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you're having a fantastic life. Okay. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. 
Have a fantastic day.